Go thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hello, everybody. Don't hear anything. <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. I don't hear anything, but hopefully you can hear me. Do you know what happened to the music? No, it's... I'm not hearing anything. Uh, oh. It's weird. It's... It's... There we go. That's really loud. <clears throat> All right. Hey, Rachel. Hello, everybody. All right, we want to welcome you to tonight's edition of Bible News Radio. Randall and I are here. Randall's going to be leaving shortly. <laughs> but I wanted to uh, come in tonight. And uh, we're going to do a show. I don't know if I'm going to do a whole hour or not. But the Lord has laid a couple of things on my heart to talk about tonight. And um, if you don't mind, do me a favor and share this out so somebody else could see it. Um, you know, it's been a very interesting um, week here. And, uh, you know, I have a sinus headache right here. All of a sudden, like literally like five minutes ago, it just came flooding back, hitting me really hard. So we're going to do what we can. Um, but I just... I have a couple of things on my heart tonight that I want to share, and I uh, I hope that you get a pen, get a piece of paper, or write on your tablet or iPad or wherever it is that you can take notes, because I think what I'm going to share with you tonight is going to encourage you from the Word of God. That's the number one thing we're going to talk about tonight is the God, the Word of God. We're going to talk about the Word of God. Today was the March for Life. It happened to be a virtual one. Do you know that there's been approximately, give or take, 62 million unborn babies taken in the womb? You know, the passing of Roe versus Wade 48 years ago should break our hearts. Yeah, it should. And, uh... Those of you who know me, you, you already know this story, but I'm going to share how I got involved in activism, okay? So I was about 18 years old, approximately, and I was attending this church shortly after I moved out on my own. I moved out on my own when I was 18 years old and um, started going to this church, and there was a guy, his name was Dr. Jerry Kirk. And Dr. Jerry Kirk was a pastor at the time who was very, <clears throat> very convicted of the problem of pornography in the, in the church. And uh, so he felt the Lord call him out of the pastorate to go and form an organization called STOP, which, which stood for Standing Together Opposing Pornography. Um, 
and and so when he was doing that at the same time the lord was raising up randall terry who started an organization called operation rescue and randall had been um making news waves i mean he had he'd been making like like history in the news because um what he was doing was he was organizing um sit-ins they're basically sit-ins prayer they were prayer sit-ins I, i'm trying to they were rescues he called them operation rescue that's what he called them that's the name operation rescue and what the idea of that was was that believers christians catholics alike were were going to planned parenthood and we were sitting in front of these facilities where women would go in and then they would have their pregnancies terminated and all the the rescuers were doing what we were doing is we were sitting there and we were praying that god would change their heart and also giving out literature so that these women and the men that were coming with them often would know that they had a option to not terminate the life of that baby and i'll never forget it because um i know as a believer as a christian i had gotten saved about four years prior to that four or five years prior to that and i grew up in a very volatile environment with a very volatile mother who told me all the time she wished i was never born and if roe v way had been passed when i was born she, she would have aborted me i mean she she hammered that into my head that you know i was a worthless piece of crap and you know and she wished i was never born and and if roe v way had existed i would not be here right so i i grew up with a huge you know rejection you know just feeling really rejected for obvious reasons and then a whole bunch of other stuff took place but i knew from god's word that he wanted me you know i knew that he loved me because i read it in his word that he loved me and i knew innately because of being a believer that you know the bible says even though your mother and your father may forsake you the Lord will lift you up. And so Psalm 139 became, for me, a lifeline. In fact, I remember um, <clears throat> going into therapy and, um, and my therapist, Lisa, who, who's still a friend of mine today, I actually heard from her a couple days ago. Lisa, uh, she, I, I asked her if she would read some scripture for me. And, and so she went home one night and she got her little cassette tape player and she recorded Psalm 139 in her voice and also Psalm 121. And I treasured that tape. I would listen to it over and over and over and over again. I would listen to Lisa read the words from Psalm 139 and, and I internalized the message of God's word where he says, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before 
and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And then verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Over the years, as I have meditated on these words and had to deal with the fact that there is an enemy of the human being out there who doesn't like you because the very fingerprint of God, his image is in you because you're a human, because we're the only thing created in God's image. Humans are. Um, and so even though the the rejecting, you know, words of a mother or the abandonment of a father or the bitter arrows of an enemy can come at you and pierce you and hurt you and wound you. The love of the one who knows you, who saw your unformed substance is all the greater. And it's all the more reason for the child of God to be secure in that. Because when the creator makes you, he loves you, right? And I've often said this, and maybe it's because I'm a philosophical introvert at heart. <laughs> but I've often said, you know, if you just take the time to look at your fingerprint, you know, if you just look at your finger 
and you look at it, it looks like it's a woven, like your flesh is, it's woven together. And it is, it's because it is woven together. God knit us together. He took so much time to create all of us, you know, and, um, and today being a, a celebration of the March for Life, you know, uh, millions of people in America are pro-life. And the good news is, here is the good news. The good news is there are more crisis pregnancy centers in America than there are Planned Parenthoods. And you know what? The devil does not like the fact that the church, by and large, has risen up, has promoted adoption, has adopted, has opened these crisis pregnancy centers, has done the things that the the culture of death despises by saying, you know what? Hey, honey, you don't have to kill your baby. We will help you. We will help you with parenting classes. We will help you with diapers. We will help you with, with, you know, formula. We'll, we'll help you with a place to live. We, the body of Jesus, are here to help. And that's why I like days like today, because even though the media isn't going to tell you the truth, I will tell you the truth, because I was a rescuer. And I remember the, well, the very first rescue I went to in Los Angeles, and, and this is what, when God called me, I was about 18 years old, right? So I go down to this rescue and, and I'm there. And, and my friend Colleen, who to this day, I still think is super radical. Um, she, cause she was getting arrested. She was like doing the limp hold thing and, and the police would come and they'd carry him away. And I was just 18. So I, and I just moved down on my own. So I was like, ah, I don't know if I should do this. Should I get arrested? But you know. And so I opted not to ever be arrested. I probably would today, but back then I was like, nah, I don't want a record, <laughs> you know, plus I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what would happen if I got arrested and that kind of scared me. But, you know, my, my radical even, and, and Colleen was almost 10 years older. So, you know, she was a little bit older than me. Um, they, uh, you know, so we would go there and then the homosexual activists and the feminists, they would be out, the feminists would be like, keep your laws off my body, keep your, you know, and they would be like, have their signs out there and their bull horns and blah, you know, just making this noise. And the pro-lifers are just sitting there singing Amazing Grace, you know, how sweet the sound, please don't kill your baby, you know, we're here to help. And then the gay activists, they're over on the side with their rainbow flags and stuff. And then all of a sudden, the media comes in. And the media at that time was ABC, CBS, NBC, and your local PBS channel, pretty much. And um, I rem- I'll never forget this because it, so, it was so funny. So the media comes in and the police come in. And the police like, you guys need to break it up right now or else. And the gay activists and the feminists bolted after they came over and started spitting on us. Okay? That's a true story right there. That didn't get reported in the media. But they come over, they spit all over us and yelling at us and everything. The cops come in, gay activists, feminists leave. The Christians sit there and those who wanted to be arrested got arrested. Right? So then... The news people would come over and talk to you. Hey, do you have a comment? You know, whatever. And um, and then later that night, they would say, we're going to be on the news at 5 o'clock or whatever time it was. And I remember going home and 
watching the news. <laughs> and <laughs> I sat there. I think it was like channel two or channel five. It was one of those channels. And I just remember sitting there watching how the news covered this Operation Rescue event. And they covered it by showing uh, the police coming in and all the gay activists, all these people leaving because they were being oppressed by the pro-lifers. I mean, and the narrative that they wrote was like completely, completely the opposite of what had happened in real life. And I, I'm, and I'm, I'm sitting there watching this TV show and I'm like, wait a minute. I was actually there and that is not what happened. That is so not what happened. What happened was completely the opposite of that. And I cannot believe that this is this is passing as as news, right? So this was in the uh the the mid eighties. So this had to be about eighty six, eighty seven, nineteen eighty six, eight, nineteen eighty seven. I was just like I was livid. I was so angry because I was like, you know what? This is so not true. Well, many years later, uh, when I when Randall and I were living in Orange, California, we lived right down the street from a Planned Parenthood. And every weekend, <clears throat> without fail, some Catholic Christians would go and they would um, they would do sidewalk counseling outside this this thing, the the, the Planned Parenthood. And sometimes Randall and I would go up and we would talk with them and we would minister too. And I remember this one time, and I'm sharing this because some people are like, well, you know, uh, sidewalk counseling doesn't work. It's totally ineffective and all this other stuff. And I'm like, uh, clearly you don't know what you're talking about. Because <laughs> if it was ineffective, these elderly, godly women would not be there every weekend, right? So Randall and I remember showing up this one weekend and there was the typical couple elderly women. And when I say elderly, I mean 70s and 80s. I'm not talking like 50s like, <laughs> like I currently am in. But like, you know, we're talking 70s and 80s. We're talking older ladies. And, you know, they would be dressed in their their little dresses and they would have their pamphlets. I mean, they'd have all their pamphlets and stuff. And I remember this woman comes up. Uh, this this girl comes up with her boyfriend and says, um, yeah, because, okay, so the way that they did it was, so so let's say this is a sidewalk. So um, there would be a driveway here and the ladies would be on each side of the driveway. And what they would do is when the cars came in, they would slow down and they would offer them literature while they were in their car. So... And then sometimes the people got would get out of their car and they would come back over and talk to the ladies. Well, this this one day, um, this young lady came back and she started talking to the seasoned counselor and was like, my boyfriend is trying to force me to do this. I don't want to have this done. Is there any way that you can help me. And I remember the the ladies, the counselors were like, you know what? Hey, let's go over to the strip mall because the Planned Parenthood was like right here. And then just up the street a little, there was this little strip mall and there's a donut shop in there. And I remember this lady taking the, the girl 
and me and we we went into this donut shop and we sat there with this girl until she was given all the info she needed and made the decision not to have an abortion um and i saw it and i was like you know what and then there was other people there's sometimes a married woman who was being highly encouraged by her husband to abort the baby you know and then frankly there's sometimes there's you know sometimes a man is trying to force the woman um you know there's a lot of circumstances that surround that but what people don't know and what they're not taught is they're they're not taught number one even in the church one out of four women in the church have had an abortion right and number two they're not taught about you know the ptsd or the cptsd that a woman could get as a result of having an abortion and they're also not taught that god loves them and can forgive them and will forgive them if they just come and they admit what they did you know that god's forgiveness can heal and bring forgiveness for even that you know because because i'm you know because honestly sometimes it is true ignorance and people don't know that this really is a baby um the advent of the ultrasound machine and getting these laws passed with you know a mom having to see the baby the pro death camps hate the ultrasound machine because 99% of the time when a mom sees that baby in the ultrasound she'll change her mind and not have an abortion because she can see it's clearly a baby right um but here's here's the the thing you know i, I want to encourage you with is that even though america and the current administration that we now have under the Biden administration has kind of flipped a page back to death, death, death on demand. God's people will never be overcome because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And as long as there's life in our body, we are going to be out there proclaiming life to the captives that Jesus came to set free. That's why even on, on Twitter today, you know, the hashtag why we march has been trending, although I think Twitter suppressed it, but it has been out there. Mike Pence, our former vice president, said life is winning in America because of all those who marched today. Thank you to everyone who participated in the March for Life and for the work you're doing to protect the precious lives of the unborn. Mike Pompeo wrote, every life is worth protecting, especially the unborn, and, and that is why we march. And Mike Pompeo also wrote, in 1987, over 10,000 people marched for life in a blizzard. In 2012, I spoke to marchers in frigid rain. All I could see from the stage was an ocean of happy faces. Little did we know that would be the last march for the founder, Nellie Gray, who was who the founder of the March for Life. Um, and then there was other people like Tim Tebow. He spoke earlier today. Um, at the March for Life, which was a virtual thing. Um, and Kevin McCarthy wrote, the new administration has already shown its willingness to disregard unity and promote abortion at home and abroad. Now is the time for us to make our voices heard to protect the most innocent among us. Life is precious. Life is worth protecting. Life unites. Why we march. Um, and then I will say also, 
uh, Senator Ted Cruz, he wrote, Today Americans across the country will march for life and pay tribute to over 60 million innocent lives lost to abortion. And he says here, I'm honored to stand united with y'all and to fight with you to restore a culture of life in America. 60 million. Over 60 million. 60 million innocent lives lost to abortion. Let that hit you just for a second. 60 million. You know, we talk about the Holocaust. We talk about, you know, other things. You talk about a Holocaust. The the biggest Holocaust in the world is in the womb. And it's sad to me that the, that the, the womb is often the most dangerous place for a baby. Um, because even though something is legal, you know, as the pro boards would say, safe, legal, and rare, <laughs> it's not rare, it's not safe, and it might be legal, but it's not moral. And it's not godly, and God did not approve of that message by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, 60 million lives. And, you know, here's something I want to bring up. I was adopted. Um, you know, I don't talk about the fact that I was adopted very often because I wasn't adopted by parents that weren't my parents. I was actually adopted by my dad, my my real father, because my mom and dad had me out of wedlock. And so I was legally adopted by my own dad. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I honor that. Why is that important? Why, for me, why is that important? Why is it important for me that I was legally adopted by my own dad? I'll tell you why. Because my dad wanted me. He didn't, he chose not to, you know, to go, oh, that's not my kid. You know, he chose not to leave me as a bastard. Okay. I mean, that's a biblical word, by the way, but I was a bastard but my dad adopted me. He gave me his name because he loved me, right? My, my dad also adopted my older brother who uh, was also a bastard. My mom had him out of wedlock. Uh, to this day, my older brother, to my knowledge, still does not know who his actual biological dad is, but my dad, the one that just died, adopted my older brother and gave him his name. My father, before my mom came into the picture, was married to another woman, actually a couple of well, no, one other woman. My mom was two, two of four. <laughs> but my dad also adopted another kid named Kenny, who was gay, actually. Kenny was gay. He died of AIDS, unfortunately. But my father also adopted Kenny and gave Kenny his name. You know, and why is that important? Because adoption is an option that we don't even talk about. Ado- with the, there's, there are legal ramifications of adoption, right? There are legal things that happen to a person when they're adopted. And I I don't have time right now to get into it biblically, but we as children of God are adopted. We are heirs of what Christ has done for us. He's adopted us into his kingdom, you know, into his family. How much more so today? I mean, why do we find stories of adoption so cool when we find out who the birth mom was or why they gave them up or, you know, all these secret things that happen? It, it's because the life, 
that was adopted or the life that was given up so that it could be adopted has immense value, right? There, somebody who adopts you has a value that they've looked, they've looked on you and they have said, I want you. I love you. You're the one I want. You're the one I want to give my name to. You're the one I want to put my finances to. You're the one I want to raise. You're the one I want responsibility for, right? But the whole idea of adoption today, you don't even hear about it. And I can tell you, as somebody in the therapy world, as a therapist, you know, <laughs> adoption was never even even like an option on the table in my training. I remember one time I was sitting in a, a supervision meeting when I was first earning all my hours and uh, one of my fellow interns spoke up and said, hey, I have a question. My question is, um, I have a client who wants to get an abortion or she wants some pregnancy resources and I really don't know where to send her to. And the very liberal feminist clinical supervisor I had said to my friend, well, just send her to Planned Parenthood. They have everything that you need. And then she opened it up for discussion and she said, does anybody else have any other recommendations? And I'm sitting there and of course I'm going to speak up. I said, yeah, actually. I said, I have one. Why not have her also go to the crisis pregnancy center here in town, right here, down here in Tustin and have her look at the resources that are also there because there are plenty of resources for her, especially if she wants to keep her baby. And if she doesn't, adoption is also an option. Abortion isn't the only choice. Adoption is also an option. And adoption benefits so many more people than abortion does. I mean, abortion destroys the life. Adoption brings life, right? Adoption, you know what adoption does for people? Number one, it can give a couple with no children a child, a mom and a dad that can love that child. Maybe because like Randall and I or you, you couldn't bear your own kids, right? So a baby that is wanted by two people that wanted a baby could be that gift. Not only that, but once that baby is put into a loving home, then they can be parented, they could be raised, and that baby can grow up to be, to be a parent as well. And there can be grandchildren and, and a legacy that will never end because of the fact that adoption was that option on the table. Um, why do you think people go to foreign countries in America to adopt children all over the world, whether it's in Africa or China or wh whatever? It's because it's difficult to adopt, right? And if laws were easier and different things happened, it would be way easier to adopt if there's more interest put into that because it's life-giving, right? It's life-giving. But this supervisor, she was like, oh, I had no idea there was another option. <laughs> she goes, you're pro-life, aren't you? I go, yeah, I am. I wrote a song many years ago called 4,000 Lives, and it starts out this way. I can see the confusion in your eyes, and I hear your thoughts wondering why. Why did this happen to me? I thought I was careful. Can't you see? That was actually from the woman's perspective, thinking, I got pregnant out of wedlock, you know, 
And then the chorus um, talks about how 4,000 lives are taken a day. And unfortunately, even when I wrote that song years ago, that number hasn't that that number still has not gone down. Even with all the advances in technology, it's still at least 4,000 lives taken a day because of abortion, because of fear, because of the lie of the devil, because the one who loves to kill, steal, and destroy, he doesn't offer faith, hope, and love. No, he offers death, destruction, regret, shame. And yet there's freedom from all of that in Christ. Which is why I want to go over here and remind you of James chapter 1. This morning I was reading this and and I um, had a couple of things that, that stood out to me. And I want to I wanna share just the first couple of verses. In the beginning of verse 2, James wrote, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And by the way, I'm reading in the Christian Standard Bible today. Um, so verse 3 and 4 use the word, it uses the word endurance, endurance. And I was thinking about that. I was, I was thinking about the word endurance. And I was thinking, you know, it's interesting. The word endurance is never attached to something easy. The word endurance is never attached to something joyful, even. It's a trial. And it says here, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded and unstable in all his ways. I've been thinking a lot about this whole idea of being double-minded and unstable. Because when you look at worldview, and you look at the worldview of the left and the worldview of the right. The worldview of the left is unstable and double-minded. The worldview of the right is not. Okay, I'm going to just say it that way. It's, it's true. What I just said is very true. You cannot have a president say that he's pro-life and then sign all these gazillions of laws into effect, overturning what President Trump did as the pro most pro-life president in our culture, in our modern history anyway, and then have Joe Biden overturn all those laws with the, with the swipe of a pen and say he's pro-life when he just sentenced millions and millions of babies to death with a signature. That's double-minded. It's unstable. It's hypocritical. It's two-faced. And to use a technical term, it's unsynced. It doesn't sync up. There are connectivity issues, if you will. And so my question to you is, are you double-minded? Are you unstable in all your ways? What do I mean by that? Well, when you pray, 
Do you believe? Do you take God at his word? When he says, ask, and it shall be given unto you. When you pray according to his will, do you believe God will do what he says he will do and will accomplish what he has come to accomplish? Do you believe him when he tells you he loves you when you're having a bad day? Or do you blame him because you're like having a bad day? (laughs) I've done that before, just so you know. Uh, And I've been double-minded numerous times in my life. I'm not immune from this. And I don't think most believers are because, hello, we're human, right? But there, there comes a time in life when that double-mindedness is an immaturity of a child, you know, and you have to grow up. And I'll, I'll, give, you a, I'll give you an example from, from my life. Just even today, I'll share with you. I'll be vulnerable and share with you something that happened today for me. So this morning, I'm, I'm in a meeting with, with people that I've been meeting with for months. And, um, and, uh, you know, I'm not feeling hot. I'm not feeling the best. Um, but you know, I'm, I love these people and I love the word of God and I love to read the Bible with them. And I just want to get up no matter what, even if I'm feeling like crap, I still want to be there and I'm there. And, um, and today the conversation was very chatty. It was, there was a lot of conversation, a lot, (laughs) a lot, probably more for me that I could really internalize and take in today. It just, it just overwhelmed me this morning. And I was feeling physically overwhelmed just from the, just, you know, everybody was so talkative. And, um, and at the end of the meeting, um, somebody made a comment that they, they kind of wanted to hang out in the next meeting that Pam was going to have. And, and, and I'm, and I'm sitting there even before this person said that. And I'm like, man, I would totally love to go into the second meeting because right now I'm feeling totally overwhelmed and I'm not really getting a whole lot out of this meeting. And I'm not saying any of this out loud, but, but internally I'm just feeling completely, eh, you know, un- and so Pam made the comment, Hey, if anybody wants to come into the second meeting, feel free to come in. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, wow, there was an invite. Yeah, there was an invite to do it. I'm like, and I sat there for a few minutes and I thought, all right, if I do this, what is she going to think, first of all? And how am I going to feel afterwards if I do this, right? Because I'm tired and frankly, I should just go back to bed. But my foundation has been shaken lately. Not, not, Not like... Like, I don't have any footing, but there are like 5,000 layers of grief that I did not expect to take place. And one thing that I've learned is that, hey, you know what? If people are willing to extend their love to you and... If they say something, unless there's something there that says that they didn't really actually mean it and they're lying or whatever, then why not? Why not believe it and just do it? So the the double-minded part of me was like, okay, 
I don't have to do this. I don't, I don't need to do this. Why don't you just suck it up, man? You're an adult. You, sh- you should just go ahead and go back to bed and then you'll be fine. Your, your, your mind will calm down. Your body will relax. You'll just go to sleep and you'll be fine. Right. But then another part of me is like, well, no, you know, she said that I could go in there if I wanted to. And, and, and I'm feeling unstable. I'm internally feeling like, oh my gosh, what's she going to think if I do this? You know, and you would think that I was trying to make a decision, like I was going to spend a million bucks or something, because that's how big it felt to me internally. And then I thought, you know what? Just who cares? I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to, like, if, if she thinks I'm crazy or I'm, I'm a baby or <laughs> I am just like, whatever, then, you know, whatever, you know, who cares, right? <laughs> and, and admittedly, I, I do care, but, <clears throat> but I'm also at the point in my life where, where, um, where, um, where I believe being vulnerable is a good thing. And I believe that if God laid something on my heart to do, maybe he had, he has a blessing for me in it or something, right? So, so I emailed Pam and I said, okay, hey, I want to come in <laughs> if you don't mind. And I went in to the meeting and the, in the second meeting and, and I didn't say anything except when I was spoken to, I said hi to a couple of the new people. I didn't know who they were. Um, but I just sat there and the feel of the second meeting was completely different than the first one. The first one was like, and the second one was like, oh. <laughs> it was like completely quiet. I was like, oh, I can breathe. I'm not, I'm not listening to like 5 million people. It felt like talking. Um, it was just, it was quiet. And, 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 and then we read again and I, I read in the Bible and this is actually where I was reading. I was reading in James and I was reading about endurance prior to that. And, and I went back and I reread about the endurance because I thought the Lord wanted to talk to me about endurance and what, what it is that you, you get when you endure, Right. And, you know, I thought of that. I thought about stuff like a runner. Yeah. Or like running. Uh, I'm not a runner. I've never been a runner. Uh, I will never be a runner. It's just not my gift. Uh, pickleball is my gift. I, I run on the court there, but that's about it. Uh, when I played basketball, I was an expert. Uh, I was actually a champion free throw um, shooter. But I never played basketball on a team because I couldn't run. But I can shoot a basket. I mean, I actually won second in the state of California in free throws a couple of years. Uh, so much that I went to the state nationals for free throws. So even though I'm short, I can shoot a basket, right? But the endurance aspect of it is like, well, what did I have to go through to learn how to shoot, right? And what did I have to go through, you know, to, to learn tennis or whatever, you know? Athletes train. And we have to train in our faith, to continue to work in our life. And part of that training, if not most of it in our head, is our head, right? So that we're not a double-minded person and we're not unstable. And I can tell you, one of the most prominent personality disorders out there is borderline personality disorder. And if you've ever known anybody with it or you've struggled with it yourself, it's that whole idea 
of um I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. All or nothing, all or nothing, all or nothing. And to get to the place, uh, in fact, therapists, most therapists go, oh my gosh, you never want to work with a borderline because borderlines are the worst ever. And blah, blah, blah. Right? Well, they are. They're very damaged people because they were raised by double-minded people. So... You know, all or nothing, all or nothing, black or white, black or white. I love you. I hate you. I hate you. I love you. I love you. I hate you. Ah. You know, it's like, well, what is it? You know, make up your mind. Stability comes when there is love there and there are boundaries and there are things that are put into place so that people don't have to guess. And I know this because I had to work through that. I mean, I grew up with that and I had to work through all that. And so I've had to learn that, hey, when somebody says, yeah, you're welcome to come in. Please come in. If you want, if you need to come in, come in. I came in. Was not easy. But I did it anyway. Because I chose to believe. I wasn't being lied to. I wasn't being set up. And that God wanted me there and he did want me there because there was a couple of those women in that second group that said stuff that just totally, it totally, it, I needed it. I needed it. And after that meeting, I felt completely strengthened in my, in my inner spirit. And I actually, afterwards I came upstairs and Randall's sleeping and I, I took a nap. <laughs> I took a nap after that. I was like, okay, I, I'm taking a nap. <clears throat> And, and I would posit to you that God does not want your spiritual life to be double-minded. He doesn't want you to be unstable. He wants you to garner strength from the brethren and those who are in the body. You can't grow up by yourself. You need the body of Christ. And this is where maybe, you know, for me right now, I'm seeing a different facet of that diamond, if you will, because of where I'm at in my life. You know, my dad was probably the most calming influence in my life. My husband is Mr. Calm, Cool, and Collected. But my dad, oh my gosh, my dad, you know, like, like, I, like I shared, I think it was last week, or I shared somewhere, you know, maybe it was just with Randall I shared this, but, you know, my dad was one of my best friends, okay? I mean, I was his girl. I was his baby. I'm still his baby. I'm his oldest baby. Um, I, but I was his caregiver. And in many ways, he was my baby. Uh, so, <clears throat> but I knew even though my dad couldn't do anything, quote, for me, you know, uh, my dad was tough. He was strong. My dad had solid, like, muscles. He was one of the strongest people I know. And... I just remember when he would hug me, I could just feel it, you know, and, and his hugs were just like, oh, just all muscle, you know, like, that's all I need. I just need a hug from my dad. That's it. Just wanted a hug. That's all I cared about was just going there and getting a hug from my dad. He had dementia. He lived somewhere else. He stunk really bad. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't care because my dad, just his presence in my life was it, it calmed me down. You know, I remember going in and visiting him one night and he was sleeping and he looked like he was dead, honestly. But I was having a hard day and I just remember going, I'm going to go over there. I'm just going to sit there with him. I'm going to be in the same room. I want to be in his presence 
because he was calm. Nothing flustered my dad. Well, it's not completely true. Occasionally, well, no, it's not really true. Nothing really did fluster my dad. My dad was just like even keeled. But my dad was also very emotional. My dad cried a lot. Like me, I cry a lot. Uh, but my dad cried a lot. In in the last couple of years of his life, he would cry all the time. So when he died and I was with him and he had that tear come down his face, that was like my love language. You know, God knew that that was my love language, that he knew that I needed to, he, need, he knew that I needed that that communication, you know, my dad was not unstable in any way. He wasn't double-minded. My dad said something, he meant it. When my dad spoke, people listened, you know, uh, when my dad, uh, was like instructive, you better listen, you know? And there were a few times my dad put me, he was like, okay. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I am 40 years younger than you. After all, you do know a lot more than me. Um, and yes, I will shut up and not do that again, you know, cause you know, my dad, he wasn't a fool. My dad was a very, 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 very wise man, highly educated by the Bible and life experience. He had a GED or a diploma. I don't even know what he had, but he didn't have a master's degree like I do. He was really proud of me that I have a master's degree, but he didn't. But what he did have is people smarts. My dad knows people. My dad knew people and my dad loved people and he was stable. He was not double-minded. He was not two-faced. He wasn't a person who would say one thing to your face and flip you off behind your back like my mom was. My mom was completely the opposite. In fact, my dad never said a bad word about my mom, ever. And to this day, that's that's the best memory I have of my dad because he had every reason to, right? Um, but my dad was not that type of man. He was not double-minded. He was stable. He was cool, collected. Was he perfect? No. But I didn't have to worry when my dad spoke. If my dad said something, I knew that's what he meant, right? And... And so my second thing to you then is what, um, are you that way? You know, with your, with your God, if God is true and he is, and if God is good and he is, then do you trust him with who you are and, and what he wants to do with your life, regardless of how it feels? Cause see, our feelings aren't faith, you know, and it took me years and I'm an emotional woman and I, and, 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 you know, it, our, our, our faith isn't based on our feelings because if it is, it's like, woo, then it's going to be unstable. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so I've learned to dare greatly, you know, uh, to, to, to quote, you know, the, the quote that Brene Brown made famous from, I think it was, was it Roosevelt? Um, now I gotta look it up cause I'm not going to remember and that's going to drive me crazy if I don't remember it. So just give me a second here. I probably should take a breath anyway. 
you guys enjoying the show so far? I mean, I know I feel like I'm um, talking a lot. That's because I am. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a Roosevelt quote. Um, yeah, I'm going to read this quote because I, I love this quote. It's a great quote. So it says, it's, it, um, so it says here, it is not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. <sighs> so that his place shall never be with those cold, timid, Souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt. I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. Being an entrepreneur isn't for wimps. Being in sales is not for wimps. Just so you know. Love you too, Rach. You know, it, you know, Anything you do in life that you do, it takes courage, right? There's always going to be an armchair critic. There's always going to be somebody out there who's going to try to knock you down when you're vulnerable. There's always going to be somebody, even in the church, who's going to judge you and they're going to think that they know who you are and what you're about and they're not going to know anything, right? They're not, they are not the people that matter, it's the people who are in the arena. It's the people who work. You know, um, one of the, the funniest things that I heard as a therapist was people would come in and go, oh, my gosh, you have the best upbringing and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and I, I, and granted, I was pleased by that because it showed me that God did the work and I did the work and God healed me and he made me the person that I am. But what they didn't know was it took me 18 years to sit in that chair. It took me 13 years to earn my master's degree. And I've shared this a lot. And then the reason I share it a lot is because it wasn't handed to me. I earned every stinking degree I got. I paid for it with my own money. I didn't get mommy and daddy paying for my college. I didn't get mommy and daddy handing my life to me on a platter. I had to work my ass off for it, right? And I'm being blunt because it's true. I did. And it was hard. It wasn't easy. And I'm proud of it because it was hard. Because there was times I was in a disabled students program because I couldn't do the work. I had to have help. I had to have tutors because of, because of stuff in my head, you know, and stuff like that. And I had people criticizing me sometimes. And I'm like, really? Don't tell me I can't do this because I'm going to do it. And you're not going to like, <laughs> you know, go ahead, make my day. Go ahead, take that. I dare you to knock that off my shoulder because if you think you can then you're wrong, just so you know, you know. And that brings me to Psalm, 100, Psalm 37. And I just want to bring this up because 
here's the thing. In March, I'm going to launch a new Bible study um, on Psalm 37. And a lot of Christians today are really, really, really upset because of what's happened in our culture with the government, right? Look, I'm just going to flat out say it. I think the election was completely stolen. And I know I'm not alone in that. But you know what? Whatever. God has allowed it to take place in our culture. So we deal with whatever's we we deal with the fallout right but we don't have to we don't have we do not have to play the game that culture wants us to play right so psalm 37 says do not fret because of evildoers people well it doesn't say people but i not the people part don't be envious towards wrongdoers for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb and this is verse three Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Think about that, okay? In fact, I want you all to memorize that verse. Verse 3 of Psalm 37. Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. When David wrote this, obviously he was talking about the land he was in. But how do you cultivate faithfulness? How do you cultivate faithfulness. Think about that. Take time to meditate on that. Take time to think about what that means. Because I guarantee you, we have that opportunity every single day to cultivate faithfulness. You can be double-minded or you can be faithful. And the way that you cultivate faithfulness, one of those ways is to be surrounding yourself with people who are faithful in God's word, faithful in living it out faithful and being obedient to Jesus because that's what he's called us to. He gives us the answer, however, in the next verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord And wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Don't do that. Don't fret because of that. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. And you know what? There's some of you out there who I love. I'm watching your Facebook and you're all upset. You need to knock that off. You need to stop it. You need to stop it. Because it's not helping you. It's not being a good witness either. Because you're like, don't fret. Don't fret because of the evildoers. For evildoers will be cut off. Because, But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble, the humble will inherit the land. And he will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. Better is a little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. And you know what? That might be a thing, right? You might have a lot less now but it's better. 
for the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. And believe me, I know that for, I know that to be true for sure. God sustain, God sustains the righteous. If you want, you want to be sustained, you keep being with God, right? The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. We have that. That's a promise. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil and in the days of famine, they will have abundance. Think Joseph. But the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish, they like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. But the righteous is gracious and gives. And by the way, I just, I should say here, I'm, I'm trying to wrap this up. But I do want to say thank you to those of you who have given to me uh, in honor of my dad through the show. And, um, and just those of you who have donated to the show, um, Randall and I thank you from the bottom of our heart for doing that. Um, cause it's just us. We're just, it's just us. So if God lays it on your heart to donate, you can go to our website, biblenewsradio.com and donate there. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. He delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have these great pictures in my house uh, from a, a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan, He does art by Jonathan. And, and he, he draws these, these pictures of, of babies in a hand. And um, there's one that he has a, a hand that's coming down and the little baby is holding the finger. Um, and I just, I just love it because that's a picture of God in us and how gracious he is. Uh, and then he says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends and his descendants are a blessing. And I'll tell you, my church, our church, you know, my church, a body here locally, you know, I have, I have some wonderful people there and, and, you know, my friend called me up and it's like, Hey, we want to bring you food for a week. And I'm like, why? <laughs> They're like, cause we love you. Cause your dad died. We want to support you. And I'm like, okay. Um, and then they asked me what I wanted. I'm like, I don't, I have no idea what I want, but this week they fed us and they're going to keep feeding me until next week. <laughs> and you know what? I needed it. And I didn't know I needed it, right? I did not know that I needed that love from, from my family. And yet, you know, I got pizza one night, got chickens last night. They even gave me a pie. <laughs> I, never, I never buy pie. Um, anyway, so God just, he's just so good. He just, he blesses you. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked, violent man 
spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in the native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and behold the upright man, for the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed, the posterity of the wicked will be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Amen. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him, in him. So I want to encourage you to go read Psalm 37 and begin to look at the contrasts of the wicked and the righteous because it's there. And what you see is that there's stability with the righteous. There's instability with the wicked. And uh, um, so I just want to say that. Um, so, um, yeah. So that's what I wanted to say. Uh, I, I know I know this wasn't my typical show in the sense of, you know, covering news or whatever. And, and I'm emotional because I'm in that spot. So you're just going to have to deal with that. If you love me, you will. <laughs> um, but I hope that this has been encouraging to you. I hope it I hope. I hope that you know. That I love you. And that I care about you and that I want you to know the Lord more intimately and to, to be more crazy about him because he does love you. You know, I, I was thinking today, I'm an orphan. <laughs> I was thinking about that today. I was thinking, am I an orphan? Because cause, cause somebody said, once your parents die, you're an orphan. And I thought, am I an orphan? I thought, well, my mom and dad are no longer here, so I guess technically that makes me an orphan now. I've never been an orphan before. I mean, I've always kind of felt like an orphan growing up, but but now it's kind of official that I'm officially an orphan, right? But but I thought about it, and I thought, well, yeah, well, maybe technically. Technically, you know, now that my mom and dad are both gone, I'm an orphan. But then I thought, no, because the Lord says in his word that he puts the lonely in families. And that's what the body of Christ is about, you know. And part of learning what love is, is allowing people who love you to love you. You know, if somebody's going to say, hey, it's okay to come in this meeting. Say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the meeting. If somebody says, hey, I'm going to give you some food because I love you, say, okay, I'm going to take some food. If somebody wants to hand me some money and a card they sent me because they love me, I'm going to go, okay. Or if somebody says, I'm going to come to the funeral with you, say, okay. is love. And that is how we practice what God has called us to practice. 
that is how you comfort one another with the comfort with which you have been comforted. Because I know the people giving me food and their stories. And I know the people coming to my, my dad's funeral. I know why they're doing it. That's how you grow. And this is... And one last thing I'm going to say. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and contrite in spirit. The world hates pain. The world wants you to numb your pain. The world tells you to medicate your pain. Especially your emotional pain. But God says, you know what? I'm here. And I love you. And I'm near to you. Let me take care of you. And you're like, okay. So if you're in that spot, like me, go with it. <laughs> you know, just go with it. Allow the Lord to love you where you're at. And go with it. And he will. And you'll be better off for it. I promise you that. So I got to blow my nose now. So I'm going to end the show. Uh, but thank you for tuning in. And thanks for praying for us. Randall and I are both not feeling so hot. Um, and Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow night with another show. So be bold, people. Stand up. Go with God. Because he does love you guys. He really does.